In the 19th century, there was a historical novel, and I'll, I'll just admit that I have not read um, this novel, but there was a novel uh, by the name of The Three Musketeers uh, that was written by Alexander Dumas, and it's this story of brotherhood. It's a story of uh, Athos, Porthos, and Aramis, and their adventures um, as they um, seek to uh, stand for what is right, as they um, want to protect um, what is right in their situation, as they want to do that. And of course, we have a, a saying from the Three Musketeers that was very popular. Um, it's called uh, One for All and All for One. And a lot of, um, and, and that was not made popular by either three of those musketeers. And it's kind of a funny name for the book, The Three Musketeers, in that there's four of them. And there's another guy named D'Artagnan. That, that's the Texas form. You could say D'Artagnan or however you want to say it. But the way a Texan would say it is D'Artagnan. So uh, he made that phrase popular. And these four um, guys, and there's a series of books uh, that flow from the Three Musketeers. And they just talk about their adventures, uh, how they get in trouble, how they get each other out of trouble. But there's a brotherhood and what they stand for and... Uh, it's amazing to see how these men uh, will do anything for each other and they lean on each other during difficult times. And, and a beautiful picture of loyalty, a beautiful picture of um, their interdependence for one another and how it makes them uh, better as well as get them out of a lot of jams in their, par uh, in their adventures. So as we talk about Daniel tonight, we're going to talk about Daniel uh, the book of Daniel, we're going to talk about the man Daniel, we're going to talk about Daniel and his three companions as they um, are in the part of the exile. They're, when Babylon comes and they attack Jerusalem and the first attack on Jerusalem and they take people as prisoners, we're going to see Daniel and some of his friends as well as many other people who are going to be taken as captives um, into, into exile into Babylon by King Nebuchadnezzar. And among them were these four um, very central characters within the book of Daniel. Uh, and so we're going to see Daniel. We're going to see Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. And these guys were from the royal family of, of David. Uh, so they were of royal blood. And um, Nebuchadnezzar went out of his way as uh, they took um, Jerusalem as uh, they took people into captivity, only the brightest, the best-looking people, may, maybe of royal blood, they made the cut to be taken into exile. Um, and we're going to talk a little bit about why that was, why that happened that way in just a minute. But uh, there's a great uh, quote in, um, there's a commentary by um, James Montgomery Boyce, and he says this. I love this, this is a great quote. It says, I do not know of any message that is so timely and valuable for Christians living in our own secular and materialistic times as the message of Daniel is. Indeed, in Daniel we have a stirring and helpful example of one who not only lived through such times and survived them, but who actually triumphed in them and excelled in public life to the glory of God. Daniel did not compromise. He did not bow to the world's idols. 
He was hated. He was plotted against. But he triumphed because he knew God and because he trusted him to do with his life whatever was best. That is best explained in the verse where Daniel's friends have been summoned to King Nebuchadnezzar to explain why they will not bow to his statue. This is in chapter 3, 16 through 18, where it says, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. If this be so, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace, and he will deliver us out of your hands, O king. But if not, be it known to you, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. So as we look at this, uh, the boldness it must take to stand in the face of death, in the face of being thrown into a, uh, to a fiery furnace, um, just to bow the knees. When most likely many of their um, friends, many of their uh, fellow, um, their, their buddies that had been taken into exile with them, while they were bowing, they chose to stand. While they were, as we're going to see in a minute, eating the king's food, they chose not to. And they took a stand. So uh, let's look at the timeline. So we see where the timeline is and where this takes place. Uh, we have the, the kings. Uh, and after the kings, we have the division of the nation. And then, of course, uh, as the nation continues to disobey God, as they continue to worship other idols, as they continue to do what they want, uh, what is right in their own eyes, um, God makes it very apparent that something bad is going to happen. He tells them very specifically. And we're going to look at some of the Old Testament context here of what was prophesied about the exile. So Jeremiah 25. If you have a Bible, you can open up to Jeremiah 25. We're going to see prophecy fulfilled here. Um, starting in verse 8. Therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts, because you have not obeyed my words, behold, I will send for, for all the tribes of the north, declares the Lord, and for Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon. This is a great two words, my servant, and I will bring them against the land and its inhabitants and against all these surrounding nations. I will devote them to destruction. I will make them a horror, a hissing, an everlasting desolation. Moreover, I will banish them from the voice of mirth and from the voice of gladness and the voice of the bridegroom and the voice of the bride, the grinding of the millstone and the light of the lamp. This whole land shall become a ruin and a waste, and these nations shall serve the king of Babylon 70 years. Then it will go on to talk about what will happen after that 70 years. Second Chronicles 36 also want us to see these two uh, verses here that we'll talk about and um, warn the people about what's going to happen. In verse 20, it says, He took into exile in Babylon those who had escaped from the sword and then became servants to him and to his sons until the establishment of the king of Persia to fulfill the word of the... Lord by the mouth of Jeremiah until the land had enjoyed its Sabbaths all the days 
that it lay desolate to keep Sabbath to fulfill, to fulfill 70 years. And the last verse here, let's look at Isaiah 39. As I read this verse this week, um, it kind of broke my heart. It broke my heart in that you can see, and by no means was Hezekiah a, a wicked king. Uh, by no means was he um, in a place where uh, he was living in direct disobedience. Uh, yes, he was disobedient, and yes, he did those things. But uh, he was one of the better uh, rulers of the day. And we're going to see what Isaiah will say to Hezekiah here. Uh, and, and I'll tell you why it kind of broke my heart this week. Then Isaiah said to Hezekiah, Hear the word of the Lord of hosts. Behold, the days are coming when all that is in your house and that which your fathers have stored up to, to this day shall be carried off to Babylon. Nothing shall be left, says the Lord, and some of your own sons who will come from you, whom you will father, shall be taken away and shall be eunuchs in a place of the king of Babylon. The reason why this really um, affected me this week is the fact that uh, very soon after this, you're going to see Hezekiah go, but it's not happening in my time, right? It's not happening in my day? Okay, sweet. That's great. You're just like, really? You're going to be okay for that to happen to your kids or your grandkids or your great-grandkids, but not for you. And that's kind of the attitude that uh, we see portrayed here in the Old Testament, which is wh exactly why they're headed into exile in Babylon anyway. So let's look at Daniel's life story. We got some good stuff here. I'll show you the map of the exile. I want you to see exactly when they were taken uh, into captivity from Jerusalem. We see that's the road that they would have taken to go to Babylon, uh, to be taken into um, captivity, to be put into service. Um, and it was exactly the way God had told his people it would happen. Exactly the way it was predicted by Isaiah. And we're going to see King Nebuchadnezzar take many of these people, um, including Daniel um, and his friends, into captivity. Daniel chapter 1. Daniel chapter 1. And we're going to be reading in verse 3. Then the king command, uh, commanded Esphanes his chief eunuch, to bring some of the people of Israel, both of the royal family and of nobility, youths without blemish, of good appearance and skillful in all wisdom, endowed with knowledge, understanding and learning, and competent to stand in the king's palace to teach them the literature and the languages of the Chaldeans. So we see this assimilation process taking place where they take these uh, men into captivity, the youngest, the brightest, the best looking, and they're going to start this process of making them Babylonians or doing their best to um, take them away from their land. They're going to do their best to uh, destroy their faith in their God. They're going to do their best to get them to adopt their religions and their belief system. And really this would be a huge slap in the face for uh, the people of God. This would be, you're doing exactly um, what would be dishonoring to God. And we're going to see them actually change their names. Uh, Daniel, whose name means God is my judge, was changed to Belshazzar. And, and not to be, uh, don't mistake that for the name Belshazzar. It's in chapter 5. Uh, but Belshazzar, and it, his name goes from God is my judge to whom Bell favors. 
So it literally is something that honors God, and his name is changed to something that is completely honoring to another God. Uh, Hananiah, his name is changed to Shadrach, and beloved by the Lord, uh, beloved of the Lord, and it's changed to illumined by the sun God, and um, there's all these different names of what that would have been, the sun God at the time, and I just lifted it, sun God. So uh, Mishael is changed from who is God and to Meshach, which is who is Ishtar. Uh, Azariah, the Lord is my help, and changed to Abednego, slave of the God of wisdom. Slave of the God of wisdom. So uh, when you get to heaven someday, I hope you don't start looking for Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, because those would have been their Babylonian names. I hope that we look for Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah uh, by their real names, because I bet they don't answer to their Babylonian names. Maybe I'm wrong. So... um, so let's look at his rise to power, Daniel's rise to power. And we're going to see uh, several things that will happen in Daniel's life that will cause him to rise to the ranks. Uh, much like Joseph last week, as you looked at Joseph and some of the things that happened in his life uh, helped him to rise to the ranks uh, to second in command. Uh, Daniel's not going to raise to, uh, be raised to second in command, but it's going to be way up there. Uh, So Daniel chapter 1 verse 9 says, And God gave Daniel favor and compassion in the sight of the chief of the eunuchs. This is something where um, they were asked to eat the king's food. This is something that Daniel and his friends felt would be dishonoring to God and whatever reason. It's amazing how many commentaries uh, went in different directions of what that would mean. Uh, They just thought it was dishonoring to God, so they chose not to... Now, one of the cool things about this story and his rise to power is that they would have been somewhere around 16 to 20 in that age range. So when you think about we're slaves, we're not in our land, uh, we're not around our people, and someone is telling me to do something, um, most people would obey. But these guys said, you know what, I'm not trying to be disrespectful, but... This would be dishonoring to our God. Will you put us to a test? And we're going to see that take place. So we see these guys as teenagers having great boldness uh, to stand for what they felt to be right. The exact thing that should be taking place, the, the doing away with their faith, the doing away with their belief in their God is exactly what's not happening. Uh, they're Faith is strengthened. And I think that has a lot to do with their friendship that they have with one another and their dedication to God. Daniel chapter 2. We're going to see Daniel interpret one of the king's dreams, one of the very first dreams that the king will have. Uh, in verse 46, it says, Then King Nebuchadnezzar fell on his, upon his face and paid homage to Daniel and commanded that an offering and incense be offered up to him. And the king answered and said to Daniel, Truly your God is God, the, is God of gods and Lord of kings and a revealer of mysteries, for you have been able to reveal this mystery. Then the king gave Daniel high honors and many great gifts and made him ruler over the whole providence of Babylon and chief perfect, uh, prefect over all the wise men in Babylon, standing firm in the face of death. So even in the midst of this trial... Uh, this difficulty that he is facing, he stands strong, and the God and God gives him favor for that. 
uh, Daniel chapter 6. Another great verse in verse 28 where we see God giving favor uh, to Daniel even in the reign of another king. So this Daniel prospered. So this Daniel prospered during the reign of Darius and the reign of Cyrus the Persian. So we see him having um, success. We see him being, uh, he's raised through the ranks. We see him uh, being prospering in a time where he should be uh, downtrodden. In a time where he should uh, be hurting Emotionally and spiritually, this is something where Daniel is prospering in this time. And why? So let's look at the testing that takes place here. Yes, he's rising to power, but let's see this test that's taking place. Because so many kings, so many rulers of the nation, the things that they have gotten wrong, not giving God the glory, not giving uh, the honor that is due to God for the successes that they have, for the victories that they have. Um, Daniel is not going to take the glory when it belongs to God. So check this out. These three stories that we just talked about. We're going to read just a few verses before. Uh, Daniel 1.8. It says, But Daniel resolved that he would not defile himself with the king's food or with the wine that he drank. Therefore he asked the chief of the eunuchs to allow him not to defile himself. He's resisting the assimilation process. He says, you know what? This is, he's holding on to who he is. He's holding on to his beliefs. He does not want to be like everyone else. He doesn't want to blend in with everyone else. He doesn't want to be liked. He wants to honor God. He does want to be liked, but he wants to be liked by God, not from everyone else. And we're going to see that. Daniel will stand, he will withstand these tests that are thrown at him. Daniel chapter 2, in verse 27. This is before the, uh, the king and his dreams. It says this, Daniel answered the king and said, No wise men, enchanters, magicians, or astrologers can show you the king, can show to the king the mystery the king has asked. But there is a God in heaven who reveals mysteries. And he has made known to King Nebuchadnezzar what will be in the latter days. Your dream and the visions of your, of your head as you lay in bed are these. And he goes into the explanation of what the statue is. Daniel is revealed what the king's dream means. Uh, and even though he knows the answer, he's not taking the credit for knowing. He gives all of the credit to God. He gives all the honor and the praise to God. Daniel chapter 6, verse 23. You know, I really wish we could have talked to those people and got the lion up here tonight. As we talk about Daniel and the lion's den, it would have been perfect to have this monstrous lion back here. But we'll have it tomorrow at Crystal's house. It'll be great. Verse 23, then the king was exceedingly glad and commanded that Daniel be taken up out of the den. So Daniel was taken up out of the den and no kind of harm was found on him because he had trusted in his God. You know the story where um, Daniel prayed several times a day. 
And these guys who did not like Daniel, did not like his position, did not like that a foreigner was in charge of them, did not like that a foreigner had all this success, they plotted against him. They said the king should make a decree that if you do not pray to anyone except for him, that you should be put to death. They tricked the king into doing this. And we see that Daniel said, well, I'm not going to pray to anyone except for my God. Well, Daniel's praying to God. They throw him in the lion's den. And these guys knew what happened when you got thrown into a lion's den. There's a really cool uh, video on uh, Discovery Channel where uh, they put these uh, boxes out in the middle of a jungle or the wilderness. Or uh, in this case, it was in the middle of Africa. And it's just a plastic box large enough for a couple of people to sit in. And they have some holes uh, drilled in it so, of course, they could breathe. And they put a dead animal right beside it. And what they're trying to do is get the lions to come in and eat this animal right with people within as close to me to these front chairs. And to hear the purrs, to hear them crunching the bones, to hear the, the power and uh, the, just the majesty of a lion. You know, we went on a, on a safari and there was a female lioness who was pregnant, walking through the, through the safari. And we were just like, Crystal rolls down the window and she looks out. And it's probably for me to Crystal where that lioness was that close to her. And she thought, that lion at any second could turn around and my head would be gone. Just whoosh. So she's like rolling the window back up and said, no, it's okay. Hello, little lion. So uh, it was a pretty amazing thing to see that. It was raining, so it was cold and, and it was rainy. But... To see that and to think that Daniel was lowered into a pit of a lion. And he said, you know what? I'm going to give honor to God. I'm not going to uh, do anything else except for give honor and glory to God. Even if it means going to my death. But we see that through him standing firm, God will deliver him. And it helps him to uh, prosper even more to another king. Even ap- after the king uh, Nebuchadnezzar is gone. So. The visions. Landon said earlier that I am going to reveal all the mysteries of these visions that Daniel will have. And some of them are easy to understand because it says very specifically what they mean. And he reveals them specifically. I love that Daniel will have visions and God will not give him the answer to them until he sends an angel to give him those answers. Um, but I listed those down. Daniel chapter 2, we're going to talk about uh, in a minute. The statue that is in King Nebuchadnezzar's, um, a vision that he has about a statue. Uh, in chapter 4, we have a tree. In chapter 5, we have the handwriting on the wall and what that means. Uh, that's actually a dream to Bel- uh, Belshazzar that Daniel will interpret. Chapter 7, we have these world powers uh, and what do those mean? Uh, chapter 9, we have the 70 weeks. Uh, and in chapters 10 through 12, we have the end times. And you know, a lot of people have been talking about the end times. And is this the end time today? We had the, the blue blood moon. Is that what it's called? The blue blood moon. And so everyone was up in arms. And some people were buying up rations. And we got to buy food and water because this is the end. And um, So let me just say this. As far as these visions go... Uh, A lot of these visions, there are a lot of interpretations of what they mean. And to me, they're about as clear as mud. Um, uh, 
One of my mentors, Troy Stevenson, who was a pastor here for many years, he always made me laugh in that he was not a premillennialist or a postmillennialist. He was a, a panmillennialist. And if you don't know what that means, he literally just said, it's all going to pan out in the end. Whether you stand on one court or the other one, it'll all work out. And so as we talk about end times or... Uh, I'm not going to talk about end times because that would be uh, a 17-week series on the end times. So those visions, you can go back and read them for yourself and how they were interpreted. And you can come up with, I promise, with all of us in here tonight, we would have that many different opinions on what they meant. And so uh, there's visions. Go read about them. They're great. So uh, let's look at the last thing, the end of his life. Daniel and the end of his life. Now, it does not say... As um, God's people will return back to the promised land. And it does not say one way or the other whether Daniel did return, whether he didn't return. Uh, My guess, my speculation would be that he remained in service to whatever king was there. Uh, Daniel was liked by these leaders. And I don't see that he would give that up, especially when he would be probably... 70, 80, 90, when that would take place. I don't see that he would leave that. I think that he was probably remain in service to whatever king God had put in control of that time until his death. So let's look at some negatives and some positives for Daniel. I looked and searched. I actually came to land and I read through the entire book of Daniel one time. And I was like, okay, I did not find any negatives about Daniel. I really had a hard time finding something negative. A lot of these heroes that we're looking at, you're like, okay, which part do you want me to talk about the negative? With Daniel, I had a hard time looking. So I read it a second time, and and then I had to just walk into Landon's office. All right, listen, I didn't find anything bad on Daniel. I can't find where he did some malicious act or whether he was disobedient. Yes, he was disobedient to a few eunuchs. That was all I could really come up with is that he said, I don't want to eat that food. Can we do something else? So uh, I'm going to talk to you about this. Daniel was prayerful and repentant for the sin in his life as well as God's people. And this, we're going to see this in Jan- Daniel chapter 9. This prayer of repentance that Daniel will have not only for the sin that's in his life, but also for the sin of the people of the, of the nation. Daniel chapter 9, starting in verse 16. says this. O Lord, according to all your righteous acts, let your anger and your wrath turn away from your city Jerusalem, your holy hill, because of our sin. And for the iniquities of our fathers, Jerusalem and your people have become a byword among all the, all the who are around us, Now therefore, O our God, listen to the prayer of your servant and to his pleas for mercy and for your own sake. O Lord, make your face to shine upon your sanctuary, which is desolate. O my God, incline your ear to hear and your eyes and and see our desolation and the city that is called by your name. For we do not present our pleas before you because of our righteousness, but because of your great mercy. O Lord, hear, O Lord, forgive. O Lord, pay attention and act. Delay not, 
for your own sake, oh my God, because your city and your people are called by your name. Daniel realizes the time as he starts to interpret some of these visions that he's having. And he realizes we're supposed to be in captivity about 70 years. Daniel starts realizing at the end of his life, this is going to, we're about to go back. We're about to go back to the land that God has given to us. And he realizes that for the most part, the people are the exact same. There's been no repentance. There's been no turning back to God. There's no brokenness for their sin. He realizes that there's sin in his own life. And he's broken for it. And he's asking, he's crying out, he's pleading with God for mercy. One of the scriptures that this tags that I enjoyed uh, studying this as well is when we see Moses head up to, the, uh, to meet with God to get the Ten Commandments. And the people at that time, they make a golden calf. They start worshiping the golden calf. And as Moses is up there on the hill and he comes down and he sees what they're doing, the Lord has had enough. God has had enough. This is in Exodus 32. And this same plea for mercy that Daniel is crying out here is the same plea and the same words and verbiage that is used in Exodus 32 as Moses cries out to God to please do not kill the people. Because God says, I am going to wipe those people out and I'll rebuild with you. And Moses is like, please don't do that. Because the Egyptians will see it and they'll laugh. All of these other countries will see it and they'll laugh. And that's exactly what Daniel is crying for here. Please pour out your mercy upon us. Please pay attention and act. For your own sake, my God. Because your city and your people are called by your name. He wants the nation to turn back to God. He wants them to return to the promised land and serve God wholeheartedly like he has called them to. And he wants God to pour out his mercy upon them because he knows without that mercy, they're all in big trouble. So Daniel was prayerful and repentant for the sin, not only in his life, but for God's people as well. Let's look at the positive. It is possible to live a faithful life in exile, surrounded by pagan influences and propaganda, if one sets one's mind to serving the Lord wholeheartedly. It is possible to live through trials, through tribulation. Um, many people would look at our situation in America and they would say, this is, everyone does what is right in their own eyes. They are all worshiping other idols. They're worshiping other gods. They do not trust the Lord God wholeheartedly. They do not trust the Lord they do not dedicate themselves to God. They do not dedicate themselves to prayer. This is where we're at. And Daniel here is a shining example of it is possible to live in this world surrounded by all of these negative influences to thrive, to be successful, to find favor with God in those situations. Not saying that that will always happen, but... Daniel is a shining example that you can stand through trials. You can stand through the worst conditions and be blessed by God 
Um, so let's look at how this points to Jesus. Let's look at how this points to Jesus. I told you we were going to talk about Nebuchadnezzar's dream in chapter 2. I have a great pick. Uh, this is what a lot of artist renditions of what uh, the king's statue would have, must have looked like. So Daniel was given wisdom from God regarding Nebuchadnezzar's dream. You know, the statue, the head of gold, the chest of arms, chest and arms of silver, the belly and thighs of bronze, the legs of iron, and the feet of iron and clay. And we're going to see that uh, this vision, you will see a picture of Jesus coming at the end. In the days of what is called the Ten Kings. So Daniel chapter 2 starting in verse 36. Says this. This was the dream. Now we will tell the king its interpretation. You O king, the king of kings. To whom the God of heaven has given the kingdom. The power and the might and the glory. And into those hands he has given. Wherever they dwell the children of men. The beast of the field and the birds of the heavens, making you rule over them all, you are the head of gold. Another kingdom that is inferior to you shall arise after you, and yet a third kingdom of bronze, which shall rule over you, shall rule over all the earth. And there shall be a fourth kingdom, strong as iron, because iron breaks to pieces and shatters all things, and like iron that crushes, it shall break and crush all these. And as you saw the feet and toes, partly of potter's clay and partly of iron, it shall be a divided kingdom. But some of the firmness of iron shall be in it, just as you saw iron mixed with soft clay. And as the toes of the feet were partly iron and partly clay, so the kingdom shall be partly strong and partly brittle. As you saw the iron mixed with soft clay, so they will mix with one another in marriage, and they will not hold together just as iron does not mix with clay. And in these days of those kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom that shall never be destroyed, nor shall the kingdom be left to another people. It shall break the pieces of all the kingdoms and bring them all to an end, and it shall stand firm, stand forever. Just as you saw that a stone was cut from a mountain by no human hand, and that it broke in pieces the iron, the bronze, the clay, the silver, and the gold, A great God has made known to the king what shall be after this. A dream is certain and its interpretation sure. So we see these kingdoms uh, with Babylon being the head of gold that will rule in the earth uh, all the days after Nebuchadnezzar. And Daniel is very quick to point out, you know, you're the head of gold. After you will will come this force, will become this force, will become this army. And you see, um, I really like this picture. We saw the rock coming in and breaking it and becoming a mountain and, and setting up its kingdom. A lot of people say that the stone is God's kingdom. A lot of people uh, interpret that the stone is Jesus Christ. And through this interpretation... Whether it's through Jesus, God will set up his kingdom. And Jesus will be the ruler over God's kingdom. He will be at the right hand of the throne of God. And we see that this verse talks about the future and Jesus coming back. 
Uh, secondly, Jesus re- reveals himself and delivers Daniel's friends in the fiery furnace. Daniel chapter 3, 19 through 25. The king, angry with these three men, bound them and threw them into the fiery furnace. Uh, oh, excuse me. The king, then King Nebuchadnezzar was astonished and rose up in haste. He declared to his counselors, Did we not cast three men bound into the fire? And they answered and said to the king, True, O king, he answered and said, But I see four men abound, walking in the midst of the fire, and they are not hurt. And the appearance of the fourth is like the son of the gods. And one of the cool things that I got to do in college is I took a lot of art classes. I was a humanities major, and before that I was an art major. I thought I was going to be an art teacher in school. So um, I took a lot of art classes, and I got to take some pottery at UTPB. And I enjoyed it tremendously. I enjoyed the whole process of getting in there and getting your hands dirty and making pottery and then firing in the kiln and then glazing it and firing it again in the kiln. It was just a process that was very uh, neat to watch how you went from a ball of clay and took it all the way to something that could be used every day. One of the neat things that we used to do at UTPB is we, one of the semesters, we built a kiln out of bricks that we bought, of course. But we would get mud. We mixed it together with straw. We built the kiln. And then for an A in the class, you had to fire the kiln without it collapsing so that it made what you wanted it to make. And, of course, you have to make it a dome shape because if you make it a square, the hot points in the corners get too hot and it cracks the stuff inside and it doesn't work well. So... One of the cool things we got to do is we got to fire pottery all the time. So with, um, we would set these up and we would start up the kilns and we would turn up the heat every hour. And when the, the pottery would get to a certain temperature, you would kill the heat and then you would start spraying salt in it if you wanted the, the glaze to work this way or that way. And it's amazing how much gear we had to put on to keep from burning ourselves. Of course, you didn't have any hair on your arm anyway because if you got any close to the kiln, it would just singe your hair right off. So as we're trying to stick these um, in a spray bottle, we would stick the hose in there to spray salt inside the kiln so that it would put a glaze on there. We would have to put on these vests. We would have to put on these gloves. We would have to put on these helmets. And then you would still be standing back like this and just holding it in there and just like, I don't can't even tell what I'm doing because it's so hot. These guys being thrown into the fiery furnace says the kiln was, I'm sure this is the kiln that they used to make the huge statue to worship King Nebuchadnezzar anyway. So he fired it up, made it even hotter than it was supposed to. They bound them, they threw them in, and all of a sudden they see them walking around in the fiery furnace. And the, it's, the king's amazed. They're not bound anymore. It burns off their binds. Their clothes aren't burned up. Their hair's not singed. And they're walking in the mess. And he sees another person. And he says that the fourth is like a son of the gods. We see Jesus here taking care of these men, answering their prayer, doing exactly what they said as we read at the first of the story. You know what? You can... Throw us into the fiery furnace and our God will save us. But even if he doesn't, you need to know, King, we will not worship your God. 
We will not bow a knee to any image that you've created that's not um, about our God. So they stand firm. And how cool must it have been to walk around in the fire with Jesus? It would have been pretty sweet. So we see here that Jesus reveals himself, delivers these men. And lastly, we'll see that Daniel is given a glimpse of Jesus as he is given dominion and glory that all nations may worship him. Daniel chapter 7, in another one of his visions, he's going to see Jesus. He's going to see him sitting at the right hand of the throne of God. Starting in verse 13. I saw in a night vision, and behold, there was with the clouds of heaven, there came one like a son of man. And he came to the ancient of days, and he was presented before him. And to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away, and his kingdom one that shall not be destroyed. You know, they're talking here, and as he talks about the Son of Man, it's very specific in talking about Jesus being a human, fully human, being fully God. And as he came to God, the Ancient of Days, that's a term that's often referred to as God, He's, presented Jesus, he's presenting Jesus as the ruler. He's giving him the dominion. He's giving him the glory and the kingdom of God. And so Daniel sees this vision, and he will interpret that as well. And we see that Jesus, he gets a glimpse of Jesus coming back. And Jesus getting all dominion over the kingdom of, of God. So that's a little bit about Daniel. Uh, He was in exile in a foreign land. Um, Attempts to make him worship a pagan god and to forget God, they failed. They attempted um, on his life. They did everything that they could to try to trip him up, to try to get him killed. Um, But he remained faithful uh, to the one true God. Uh, And much like Joseph last week, Daniel is a great reminder to us in our world today that no matter what our circumstances, it is possible to remain faithful as well as well as successful in the midst of a corrupt world. Let's pray. Lord, we love you. And we thank you for a great testimony of Daniel and how he lived a life that was dedicated to you. How he lived a life that was faithful to you in the midst of um, death in the midst of um, tribulation, in the midst of trials, in the face of anger and, and just people who hated him, he wanted to honor you. He wanted to give you the glory. And Father, I pray that uh, as we face trials in our own world, as we face people who may uh, persecute us for our beliefs, as we face people who just may not believe the way we believe and may not like us because of of how we serve you. I pray that you give us strength uh, to face another day. And just like Daniel, as he had friends to encourage him and walk with him through, through these trials, we ask that you place people in our lives that could walk through us through uh, difficult times. And, and God, help us to remain faithful to you. Help us to be used by you. In a generation where it's not popular, uh, we have great examples and, and, and heroes in our faith that 
for shining examples of how it is possible. So, Father, we thank you for Daniel and his life, and I pray that we would honor you with our whole life. It's in Jesus' name we pray all these things.